When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi. Serious. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Kim Adams. And I'm Sharonik Boshu. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. Welcome to High Theory. Thank you for having me. It's pretty exciting. Today, I'm talking with Michelle Rada about the death drive. Michelle, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? I am a PhD candidate uh, in the English department at Brown University, and I'm also affiliated faculty at Emerson College. And at Emerson, I teach towards the psychoanalysis as cultural criticism minor. Let's see, my research is on the modernist novel, on functionalism, functionalist aesthetics, and psychoanalysis. So Michelle, what the heck is the death drive? Essentially, I'm going to lead us to the Ford Da game, which is like where most readings of the death drive get their organizing definition, and on which you, in your podcast, have a great episode. So this is like a little sequel that is worth seeing because it actually has a twist, as I hope we'll see. The death drive is a concept that Freud introduces in Beyond the Pleasure Principle, which is published in 1922. In the aftermath of the First World War, uh, Freud encounters a lot of patients and that are having these problems, let's say soldiers returning from the war, right? This is the kind of patient that he paints a picture of and who come to him because they can't seem to, to stop like reliving these incredibly traumatic experiences. They return to them over and over again in their dreams, in their flashbacks, right? Like they can't live their normal lives. These people don't seem to be like working through the thing. They just, and it seems like the mind is sort of, they, it returns them to this like experience of horrible loss in this like visceral way. And this leads Freud to question his own notion of the pleasure principle. Pleasure principle is a principle whereby organisms seek to diminish unpleasure. Uh, and unpleasure is defined here as a, a stimulation or tension. So the pleasure principle is a desire for stability, for plateau, for like, if you're hungry, right, the pleasure principle wants you not to eat because like the treat will be very delicious, but because like you just won't be hungry after. <laughs> 
So it really like it seeks to reduce on pleasure rather than like, let's say, attain pleasure. So yeah, so in this way, the pleasure principle like the death drive and has a kind of a misleading name, because it's not exactly about like orgasmic ecstasy, but about the plateau that results. So like I want the thing that I don't have to not experience the intensity of wanting it anymore. The pleasure principle is aligned to Freud, the self preservative or life instincts. The reason that we want to avoid tension is because tension is danger, and we want to stay alive so that we can reproduce. So we go towards the orgasmic intensity of sex, for example, not to have a good time, but because we want to accomplish an instinctual aim, reproduction, and then also to like not have the tension of wanting it. So the pleasure principle is like satisfaction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I always think of it as like not being bothered, like chilling. <laughs> so but everything is pleasure principle up until then. Freud starts to question this when he sees these soldiers and when he sees the psychical fallout, even the collective psychical fallout uh, from the war where everyone is sort of stuck in this moment of traumatic loss and shock. And so for Freud, this kind of repetition and return seems to him to be pointless. Freud uses this game that you have an episode on called the Fort Da game, which is played by his little grandson. Freud's grandson throws a little like wooden spool, like a little yo-yo to the floor. And he says like, gone. And then he gets it back. And then he's happy. And he says, here. And so Freud is like, oh, yes, of course. He's reenacting like the loss of his mother because there's a stage in his development where mom is like leaving more often to go hang out with her friends or like not have to deal with this kid or whatever. And like when she walks out the door, he feels this horrible loss and his world is kind of shattered and he feels, you know, like we like rely on our mothers or caretakers to survive, right? He feels vulnerable. And so he's reenacting it in order to have the satisfaction of her return, right? Of the object return here. Ha, ah, yes, satisfaction. That, that would be like a very pleasure principle reading. But Freud notices something, which is that sometimes more satisfaction comes from the first part of the game, which should be the distressing one. And sometimes even the little kid doesn't even care about it, receiving the yo-yo back. The game is just gone, go, loss, pure, just loss. And Freud is like, this doesn't make sense. This does not like square with my principle theory in a very similar way as these soldiers returning from war always returning to this moment of loss does not square with the pleasure principle theory so mm -hmm. then freud he theorizes that the reason that his grandson wants to say gone and return to this painful moment of trauma is so that he may repeat the experience in order to gain mastery over it so that he may essentially it's kind of like a you can't fire me because i quit sort of thing you know the moment of loss or trauma right is traumatic as i was saying before because you don't expect it so then it kind of shatters your reality Reality, right? You weren't prepared for it. So then with the Ford Dog game, Freud sort of is like, well, he wants to return to this moment of loss in order to master it, in order to be like in control of it so that he can be like, go, get out of here. You're gone. See you later, mom. You know, like, I don't care. I'm telling you to leave. You're not leaving. I'm telling you to, you know, like, um, so this is the usual reading of the drive. Um, we return to this like scene of like loss and destruction and maybe sometimes even recreate it right in this kind of like Thanatos, like destructive, even self-destructive way we recreate this horrible thing maybe in our lives so that we may essentially take charge of it this time so that we may be the ones causing sometimes in, in the bad way like causing the harm to ourselves or than somebody else causing it to us right or just like repeating the trauma so that we may overcome it and remember it. this is sort of an unsatisfying explanation because people i feel like this is like rarely said very explicitly like the death and the death drive is not the death that you're going to experience in the future it's the death that you experienced like before you were alive 
of like not being alive. See, because it's returning. We're returning to, we're going back. The death is about going back. That's like an important point. Freud himself admits in Beyond the Pleasure Principle, beginning of chapter four or five, where he's like, things are about to like go off the metaphysical rails a little bit. If you don't like what I've been saying so far, like you should just quit while you're ahead. You know, like he describes a primordial force, primordial kind of unbound energy within us that is seeking to return us. It's like, it gets very sci-fi. Like I really like this. Like that is like seeking to return us to like a past before we existed. We return to an inorganic state. Like it's really dramatic and intense. This doesn't make sense. And and I want to, I have a little quote by uh, Todd McGowan's Enjoying What We Don't Have, which I've just, I've been revisiting it a lot in my work lately. He's talking about four dots. So the negative therapeutic reaction the resistance to the psychoanalytic cure convinces Freud that repetition has a much stronger hold on subjects than the quest for pleasure. It is in this light that one must return to the Fort Daw game and reinterpret it, even though Freud himself does not. Uh, pleasure is not the final word on this game. There is something more, the pull of enjoyment, or what Freud calls the death drive. Though it seems completely counterintuitive, the subject enjoys the disappearance of its privileged object. It enjoys not having it rather than having it because this experience returns the subject to the initial moment of loss where the subject comes closer to the privileged object than at any other time. So essentially, we don't return to the scene of loss in order to master the scene or to regain the object. As McGowan argues, I think very convincingly, that still kind of seems like a pleasure principle explanation because mastery is pleasurable. Getting the object back is pleasurable. Like now I have it, now I'm good. Now I work through my trauma, cool, I can move on. So for him, this, you know, this is not that Freud's own later points about the death drive don't really square with the like mastery for Da interpretation. Can you reread the last sentence of that quote? Oh, of course. Though it seems completely counterintuitive, the subject enjoys the disappearance of its privileged object. It enjoys not having it rather than having it because this experience returns the subject to the initial moment of loss where the subject comes closer to the privileged object than at any other time. So, so what is that initial moment of loss? Is that the like sci-fi before we existed? <laughs> Boss. Yeah. Um, so my, I like McGowan's reading because it's not that once we reach that moment of loss, we get to attain the object, but the return to that moment of loss is the closest thing that we'll get to attaining an object that never existed in the first place. I think that what makes sense to me about this explanation is that precisely like the object does not exist. There, it, the aims of the drive are different. So with the death drive, we desire like this lost object that. Is, was never an object and for like the Lacanians in the room like that would be like the object petit a but this this is the important part like it allows us to enjoy or experience what Lacan will call like jouissance so I mean we enjoy lacking it's like a kind of excess enjoyment and going towards loss like you know that the thing that you want never existed and it's that movement towards loss that produces this kind of like enjoyment. I think the point of desire in, in this reading is that desire is about its own continuation like you know, that's why you call it like wanting or something like it's, it's a lacking. And that's, it's not, it doesn't signify the object as like the thing to aim towards for a full, final fulfillment or satisfaction. So how do I use the death drive? The drive structurally resists usefulness as an aim. The drive is precisely not useful, right? In the same way that like the pleasure principle is about like staying alive and eating and you know, whatever, like, like getting your needs met. Whereas the death drive leads us towards like a kind of non-productive mode. And what I mean by that is non-productive in terms of like a doesn't produce for a social authority or for a symbolic aim. It doesn't produce to get 
a promotion, it does something towards like a finding of an object that it'll never get. It gives us a structure, I think, whereby we can enjoy without seeking to be useful. Like we can enjoy something without trying to be useful, uh, without enjoying being oriented towards production or advancing our careers or self-care so that I'll be more productive at work tomorrow, you know, or whatever, right? Like a lot of the ways that we think of like enjoying right now are just completely tied to production and usefulness. Like I need to get good sleep so that I can be like really productive at work tomorrow. Like, like it resists that final aim of like, productivity can I just ask because I think sleep is a really good example potentially so like if the pleasure principle reading of sleep would be like I need to get good sleep in order to be functional tomorrow the death drive reading of sleep would be like Uh (laughs) I don't know explain it to me what is it for the death drive oh because I want to dream Oh, because I sleep because I want to get in touch with all that messed up stuff I'm about to make up in my mind and all those memories that I can't consciously deal with and all those desires and wishes that because I'm like stuck in this like world like I can't fulfill. The psychoanalyst Luce Penton has written on the drive as a kind of stoppage to the instinct of self-preservation such that it allows us to like push towards something unreasonable or like that's what I like the dream is great like or as like something that escapes like knowledge and reason even something mythical or utopian that resists like a kind of epistemology based on like experience or identity anything that can be counted and commodified is not what the drive goes after so how will the death drive save the world so Sharonic is right. He says this in that episode and it really stayed with me that like a usefulness of Forda is like looking beyond the object as a form of resistance to capitalism. So I would say the drive is sort of structurally anti-capitalist. So essentially by allowing us to firstly like acknowledge, let's say that the object does not and never did exist, we break with a fantasy of some sort of final moment of satisfaction produced by the accumulation of objects, which is what capitalist sort of economy of pleasure thrives on. So the subject desires a structural loss and therefore we can like enjoy our lack rather than seeking pleasure in like some future object with which we will be fulfilled again fulfilled in the eyes of a social authority the drive sort of resists that by saying like no i'm going towards like a kind of emptiness towards like an enjoyment that doesn't have a productive goal the goal that is to like be happy like get that job like like that finally i've made it so the drive is sort of would resist it resists an object that can be commodified do you think it also resists labor like it resists production and it resists social relations that are structured around production. I think that the drive just would have like a different version of sociality, like a sociality that isn't about production, that isn't about accumulation, that's about like about something else, like where we can relate to each other without those structures determining the ways in which we relate to one another. Yeah, like in your reading, it's very like hippie commune utopian. Oh, well, you know why not? I'm not <laughs> I, I will not resist that. And psychoanalysis is really good at this. It always presents us like these concepts in tension. It doesn't say like we have to revolt against, well, it, I mean, it can say this to a certain extent, like revolt against the pleasure principle, or whatever, but that's not like a permanent state. It's more like it's figured in our enjoyment of non-productive sociality and non-productive like, activities and creativity. Yeah. But it's not some like particular aim to be achieved, right? Like that's, I guess, what I'm saying. And it's good. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's about not doing things yeah we're about doing things for nothing like like cool (laughs) 
I like it. So thank you. Thank you, Kim and Sharonik. Thank you for listening to me. And thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharonik Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music, and Kim Adams and Sharonik Bosu edit our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day.